where the miracle of pregnancy meets the reality of your changing body, where taking care of our kids meets taking care of ourselves, and where the daily frustrations of feeding a family meet establishing lifelong healthy habits. This is The Messy Intersection. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Messy Intersection. My name is Diana and I am a registered dietitian and a mom of two, but more than anything, I am a person who is living in the messy intersection right along with you. I am really glad you're here today. Today we are going to be talking about the sneaky ways that diet culture can show up even in preschool. Yes, I said preschool. But before we get into that, I just want to share a quick announcement that my Facebook Live with last week's guest, Yafi Lavova, is going to be this Thursday, May 13th at 4.30 p.m. Central Time in the Messy Intersection podcast community on Facebook. So that's the group for fans of this podcast, and you can find the link to join it if you're not in there already in today's show notes. And just a note that it was rescheduled from the original time. The new time is May 13th, 4.30 p.m. Central Time. We're going to be expanding on our conversation about starting solids from last episode's interview and taking your questions live, so I hope you'll join us there. But if you're listening to this after the fact, then it will be available in the group as a recorded video as well. So I hope to see you there. Okay, on to today's show. My guest, Amy Geis, is a fellow registered dietitian and a mom of two young kids, and she works with patients with eating disorders, which means that she is highly conscious of the ways that pervasive ideas about what is healthy food, what are healthy bodies, the ways that these work their way into our children's belief systems. And I imagine that a lot of moms listening to this podcast are doing a lot of their own work to help their children shape a healthy belief system about those kinds of things. But children go to school, children make friends, children become adults one day, and there is only so much we can do in our own home. They will be influenced elsewhere, so today's conversation is going to be all about just how those early influences start and what you, as a parent, can do about it. So, my guest today is Amy Geis. Amy is a certified eating disorders dietitian and the owner of Geist Nutrition Counseling, which is a virtual private practice based in Birmingham, Alabama. She's a mom of two and feels passionate about helping her kids learn to navigate and be resilient to diet culture so that they can maintain healthy relationships with food in their bodies and take care of themselves well. And just your standard reminder, the content on the show is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for professional medical advice. And the views that I express are my personal opinions and do not represent the views of my clients or employers. Okay, let's hear from Amy. Hi, Amy. Welcome to the Messy Intersection. Thanks for having me, Diana. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us. So I invited you onto the show today because I know that you have an interesting story about an assignment that your child got in preschool. But before we dive into that, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your work? Sure. So I am a dietitian working in private practice. I specialize in eating disorder treatment and absolutely love the work that I get to do. I'm also a mom of two little boys, Max, who is five, and Leo, who is two. Awesome. That's around the same ages as my kids. Um, yeah. And this, I mean, I call it the messy intersection for a reason because <laughs> it is just um, it's a little crazy with kids those age. Trying to all, all the days are very messy. Yeah. So yes. that. The house is messy. The days are messy. Yeah. The children yes. are messy. The, yes. di- the refrigerator is messy. It's all very messy. <laughs> all the things. <laughs> 
So before we dive into your story, I just wanted to ask you a little bit more about the kind of food and body environment that you want your kids to grow up in, because I think that will kind of help us set the stage for why it was such an issue when your kid came home with this classroom assignment. Yeah, yeah. So I'll say this, I would absolutely love for my kids to grow up in an environment where food is something that they enjoy and have positive experiences around where they learn to listen to their bodies and, you know, as they discover their own likes and dislikes and their hunger and fullness cues and where all bodies are accepted and appreciated. I know though that I can't shield them completely from all of diet culture's messages about food and bodies. So the next best thing in my eyes is to model what I want to in our home and to teach them to be resilient from diet culture. So for diet culture to not penetrate deep into how they view themselves and how they view others. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really curious, does your position on this, does that influence why you are in the field of eating disorders? I think my position on this came after I started working in the field of eating disorders. So I hadn't even heard the term diet culture. I didn't even know anything about intuitive eating, about health at every size, about any of this. My training as a dietitian was very typical, if you will. And I started working in the field of eating disorders and learned that this idea of normalizing food and creating positive and pleasurable experiences around food and and all of that, that's just something that I really connected with and made a lot of sense to me. And so I think that now my position on what feeding looks like in my family and for my kids has really been influenced by that. So that brings me to my next question, actually, in practical terms, you know, what is what does feeding look like in your house? What kinds of day in and day out things are you trying to put into place to help your kids develop that resiliency? Yeah. So in our home, we follow Ellen Satter's division of responsibility. And when they ask questions about whether or not a food is quote unquote healthy, because this is something my five-year-old in particular has recently become more curious about. I think he's now had a lot of exposure to this term healthy. So I think that that's kind of where that's coming from. But, you know, I typically respond with something like all foods provide our body with energy. And I'm so thankful for that. Do you like, you know, Mm. and then fill in the blank, whatever food he's referring to. Do you like broccoli or do you like pancakes? Mm -hmm. I'll be honest, though, and say that even though I am a dietitian and even though I am a certified eating disorders registered dietitian, I am still learning and growing when it comes to navigating food and body stuff with my kids. I've never worked with kids in a professional setting. It's actually something I've avoided at all costs because it intimidates me. So I feel like I'm just a parent who may have a little extra knowledge and training in the worlds of food and body image and who certainly does a lot of reading and learning about how to best support my kids in their relationship with food and their bodies. But I don't always know how to respond perfectly to different situations involving my kids. And I feel like in that way, I might relate to some of your listeners. Yeah, well, I think that's a really good reminder. I mean, most yeah. of my guests so far on the show have been anti-diet dietitians. And I kind of want to avoid the sense that we know exactly what to do here. And we're just like sharing our knowledge. It's more like we're slightly more um, entrenched in the issues and navigating them. But most of us 
came up in diet culture faced our own food and body image struggles and are working just as hard <laughs> to not pass those on to our kids as I know, you know, anyone else listening who does not have professional experience necessarily Absolutely. in this area yeah. is. But that brings me to um, what happened at your son's school. Do you want to just dive in? What What's the story there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so my five-year-old came home from pre-K with a worksheet that he had completed where the kids were to identify which of the foods shown were healthy and should go on the plate that was pictured. So, you know, for breakfast, you had bacon and cereal and eggs and waffle and fruit and a donut. So he drew a line from the foods he had learned were healthy to the plate. And here's why I felt it was an issue. So toddlers and preschool age children, they make food related decisions based on food preferences, right? Like what tastes good to them, what textures they like, things like that. We also know that kids this age are very concrete thinkers and simply cannot understand the abstract concept that some foods are are healthy, some foods are unhealthy, yet they are allowed to eat them sometimes. So an example of what the child might think is, well, if a donut is unhealthy and I'm not supposed to put it on the plate, why do mommy and daddy take us to the donut shop, as they call it? Why do mommy and daddy take us to the donut shop sometimes? So children often mistakenly think that foods referred to as unhealthy or less healthy or bad will hurt them or make them sick. So all in all, this messaging can be very confusing for young children, especially when you consider how a child interprets and trusts their own parents and caregivers decision making. So why would mommy give me something that's bad? And that was one of the things that really kind of bothered me about the situation. Yeah, same for me. So I think um, it was about a year ago, but my then four-year-old daughter came home with a very similar uh, worksheet. They were supposed to cut out, you know, with little dotted lines, cut out the watermelon and the broccoli and the pizza. And I think there was like Fruit Loops and a cupcake and just sort them which ones are healthy and which ones mm -hmm. are in the unhealthy column. And everything in the healthy column is produce, like it's either a fruit or a vegetable. Wow. And then yeah. everything in the unhealthy column is cupcakes or pizza or cereal. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I mean... I make pizza all the time or right. I order it, right? And I know, I mean, I've talked about this on the show before, my older daughter who I'm talking about really loves sweets, like just thinks that a cupcake is the best thing on the planet. So it kind of broke my heart a little bit to see that she would had to sort it into the unhealthy category. But I think that that just illustrates that, I mean, I'm, I'm in Oklahoma, you're in Alabama, right? Hopefully it's not a just a Southern thing. I think it's a, a thing that happens all over the place. And we're talking about like preschool age, yeah. pre-K, right? Yeah. yeah. Right. Which is really unfortunate because of how, just how black and white kids think at that age. Have you ever mm -hmm. run into any um, situations where like a kid got that message at school in your practice or anything and like decided they weren't going to eat it anymore? Yeah. So actually I work with folks on a daily basis who have found or, or who have been exposed to many as children to harmful messages about food and physical activity and body size and stuff like that. And it impacted their relationship with food into adulthood. So the way that food and bodies are talked about and taught in childcare facilities 
does. I, I really do think does have a huge impact on how children relate to food in their bodies. And again, that's, that is something else that just really prompted me to reach out to the school and express my concerns. Cause I was like, I hear these stories so often and I don't think, like, I don't want my kids to be another one of those individuals who has what is a really painful and complex experience. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's interesting, you know, I think you and I, when, when our kids got these assignments, we were like, oh no, it's going to undo all everything I've been work, working so hard to mm. do. Right. But I know that other parents talking about teaching healthy foods, it seems like something we're supposed to do, right. We're supposed to teach math and reading yeah. and exercise yeah. and healthy foods. So, you know, I know other parents who'll talk about like, oh, you got to eat something healthy before you can have that cupcake or something like that. Yeah. So it's it's not only coming from the schools, but I think, uh, I mean, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say, do your kids listen to their teachers like a little bit more than they listen to you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it gets even more dangerous, I think, when we're talking about it coming from the instructor at the school. I'll just add um, kind of along the same lines of things that I've been saying that children translate or they, or they, they can translate and oftentimes do translate healthy food versus unhealthy food messages into, you know, if I eat the bad food, I am bad, or I did a bad thing, or I am unhealthy. And it can lead to sneaking, hiding, or binging on those foods. In other words, it attaches morality to food that over time can, again, really wreak havoc on their relationship with food and with themselves and with others. And I learned as I was trying to gather my thoughts and figure out kind of how to respond to this situation. I, I learned that literature states that just one exposure to a pro-dieting message, so healthy food versus unhealthy food is an example of what would be considered a pro-dieting message, elicits higher levels of established risk factors for disordered eating. So I thought that that was interesting. That's I actually did not know that, that it was as yeah. um, the bar was as low as one, which honestly makes me think that we have to be that much more diligent in terms of protecting our kids from this and even proactively, like, I don't know, at the beginning of the school year, talking to the mm -hmm. teachers, like, hey, we work really hard to have neutral food messages. I don't know if you were going to have any food lessons. So I, I would love to know what you shared with the school in terms yeah. of why this is so risky. Yeah. So I took some time to gather my thoughts, like I said, and kind of think about what I wanted to communicate with the school that would be helpful and educational and supporting, not criticizing or blaming or shaming. So I emailed the director and assistant director, kind of explaining my concerns, like things that I've already said here, and sharing with them an incident that came a couple of weeks after doing this assignment at school, where we went out to breakfast as a family. My five-year-old ordered a waffle. He kind of stopped eating abruptly and said he wasn't going to eat his waffle anymore because it has a lot of sugar. And I asked him, like I normally do, if his belly was full. And he said no, yet he was choosing to stop eating anyway. And that is not like him. And so I just kind of shared this situation with them as an example of how kids use this kind of information and offered them some very practical ideas for how teachers and classroom settings can help their students feel comfortable and at ease with eating, which I'm happy to share more about. I also offered to discuss any of this stuff further with them and 
be a resource for the school um, in ensuring protective nutrition education for the students. They responded very thoughtfully and told me that they had met to discuss next steps. And they seemed to be very receptive to my feedback, which was really encouraging. I wasn't exactly sure what to expect. So that felt good. Yeah. Well, that's, that's really great. So do you think you'll be involved in the future in like other nutrition lessons they might have or? So that's a good question. I, so shortly after this email correspondence, I received an email from them that had a few pages that were pulled from their curriculum that had to do with food. And they just asked for my thoughts about these different pages, which was really great. And I sent them some feedback about that. It was interesting because these worksheets had nothing to do with like categorizing foods as good or bad or healthy or unhealthy. It was more talking about like, okay, we are learning about this country in this lesson today. And here's a food related worksheet to go with it, where we're talking about foods that might commonly be eaten in this country. And, and so it was all really, really positive stuff. Anyway, so, so again, they sent me that information shortly after we emailed about the original worksheet. And since that, I haven't heard anything, but I've just asked that any kind of food related assignments or whatever that my kids will be involved in. I just asked to take a peek at it beforehand. And then if it's something that I don't want them to participate in, if they could just, you know, help in the office or something like that during that 15 minutes, that's just kind of what I asked for. So. So what would you recommend to a client who might want to be protecting, you know, his or her kids from this kind mm-hmm. of thing? Because, you know, you can come in with the authority saying, you know, I am a yeah. professional in this space. I want to be able mm-hmm. to review these materials. But I imagine that your clients who are working mm-hmm. to heal their relationships with food, if they have mm-hmm. children, they absolutely are in the exact same position as you of not yeah. wanting their kids to be exposed. So how would you empower a client or someone listening to be able to be in that position as well? Yeah, absolutely. I think if you are in a position where you are willing and able to speak up, you absolutely have the right to do that. They're your kids, right? And if you're, especially if you're in a childcare facility, we are paying for our children to receive care there every day. So I think we have the right to to say something and yeah, I do want to empower you to do that. Again, from my experience, it was very well received. And I think even if you are not a dietitian, you are a parent who cares about your child and their well-being and their future. You know the pain that you have been in and you know how difficult it's been to navigate, again, some just uh difficult and maybe even conflicting food and body messages. I'll say this, you have my permission to re-listen to this podcast episode and copy all of the points that I made and give that to your child's school. But I have found a lot of our colleagues have created a lot of really great resources for parents offering ways to talk to schools proactively, as you were mentioning. I've seen some things just by Googling some little, you know, lunchbox cards or something that says like in our home, we allow our our child to choose how much and in what order they would like to, you know, eat the foods from their lunchbox, please allow them to do this at school. So I think there are a lot of great resources online for that too. 
Yeah. And I hope to link to um, a lot of them in the show notes for this. So just anyone listening know that you can find those kinds of things there. And I mean, that's a good point. It's not necessarily classroom assignments about nutrition. It can be every day in the cafeteria if you've packed lunch from home or even if it's like some kids, I know my kids school, if it's a birthday party and somebody has Mm -hmm. brought in cupcakes, I know that they don't require the kids to eat any of their lunch Except if it's a cupcake day, <laughs> and then oh, wow. they okay. they well, you have to eat at least two healthy things from your lunch before you can have the cupcake. Which for my kids, like that is not how I run the show at home. You know, we we have dessert every night after dinner, and it is not contingent on what they are eating for dinner. So I know that they're getting a mixed message there. And in that case, it was a difficult conversation for me to have with the the daycare director, because this is something they've done for years, right? This wasn't like a one-off nutrition assignment. This is something they've done for years. And then I almost feel like working in nutrition counted against me (laughs) because they were like, well, you know, yeah, you may know exactly what the deal is with kids nutrition, but I know exactly what the deal is with running a daycare and this is how we do it. So I actually didn't make a whole lot of progress there. And I really just had to talk to my kids about like, yeah, that is how your school does it. Um, I want you to know, like, you know, if your tummy isn't feeling hungry for something, you still don't have to eat it. And if you don't get the cupcake at school, I will give you a cupcake at home because my heart is breaking. I mean, it hasn't come up because they are generally pretty hungry for their lunch and they like what's in it. But it's not an ideal situation. Absolutely. I'm glad you shared that because I think for me, and I hope this applies to your listeners too, I think for me that that helps me feel a little bit less alone in just the situations that have the potential to come up in school. You know, we're going to be, my oldest is going to be going to kindergarten in the fall and that's going to be an an entirely new experience for him and for us. And so, you know, it, it brings up questions in my mind about what, okay, now I know what kind of food messages he's gotten at daycare. Now what's going to come up now that he's in elementary school? I wonder what these teachers and different staff members are like there. And so I think that just, it helps me prepare for maybe, again, as you said, toward the beginning, it helps me prepare some ideas for how might I be proactive once we do go into this new school environment and yeah, that that's helpful. Yeah, same for me. Um, so my kids are also going to be starting in elementary school starting next year, and they've been okay. in daycare up until now. And um, it'll also be the first time I'm packing lunch for them. We've always used daycares that provided the food, and I fully mm-hmm. intend to put like the little Hershey Kiss in the middle of sure. the lunchbox in the little spot for the dip or whatever. Yeah, um, you know, yeah. or like we actually already talk about it because they don't get a quote unquote treat in their current daycare lunch unless it's a kid's birthday. Okay. So. So, you know, I've been talking to them already. We have those little bento boxes and we've like pl- we're planning out what we're going to put in the lunches that I'm packing. And can we do not just Oreos, but birthday cake Oreos and, you know, going to this elementary school is going to be a big change. Um, they're actually both going to be able to enroll in elementary school at the same time because the school has a pre-K program and, you know, it's going to be a big change for them. And I'm trying to like get them excited and we already have the lunch boxes, but I have heard pretty often well-meaning 
cafeteria staff saying, oh, you got to make sure you eat your sandwich before you have your Hershey kiss or something like that. And I don't, this kind of gets into my next question. I don't blame, I really don't blame any childcare staff for having that position. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's, it's the water that we swim in. Like you want kids to be healthy. If you work in childcare, you have kids' best interest in mind. You want kids to be healthy. It seems on paper like saying, eat your sandwich before you eat your cookies is a good thing to teach kids. Right. Of course. And so uh, do you want to remind us why counterintuitively it isn't? Yeah, totally. Yeah. I'll just say I I completely agree. So that's something that I communicated to the director and assistant director that uh, I just acknowledged that like body image and relationship with food are frequently left out of training for well-meaning educators. And I genuinely appreciate and respect that the school wants to provide nutrition education to the kids. Like that's fabulous. I know they care a lot about the kids and would never do something harmful intentionally. And I know too, that the reality is that this worksheet was just a part of the curriculum that was developed elsewhere that they use. So I acknowledge that in my communication to them and, and want to acknowledge that here too. But again, the the children who we are sharing those types of messages with just aren't in a position to be able to understand all the nuance that comes with that. And they aren't able to understand that bad or unhealthy doesn't mean this is going to harm me or this is going to make me sick, or this is going to, they don't know what to do with that information. Yeah. I mean, it would be nice if we could communicate in this way, like we're talking about with these two worksheets that our kids got to a four-year-old and the four-year-old would magically say, I understand all the nuances of health and nutrition, and I'm going to eat, you know, mostly nourishing foods with the occasional cupcake. But I mean, if we can't expect them to like do math or reading. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) My and my previous episode with Yafi Lavova, she was saying that having the structure of division of responsibility at home and letting kids eat uh, according to their own appetite without, you know, telling them what to eat and when is the equivalent of teaching them how to read, you know, in terms of we don't oh, just, wow. I think she said, we don't just hand the Wall Street Journal to a five-year-old, right? <laughs> and just expect him mm. to read. Um, we, you know, put in place over the course of their entire childhoods, a very conducive environment to developing a healthy relationship with food the same way that we would try to put in place a conducive environment to learning and for helping them figure out, do they want to do science or the arts, you know, helping them cultivate what's best for them. And so it's not going to happen with one worksheet from one pre-K class, (laughs) even if it was a great worksheet, right. You know, even if it had more to do um, with, you know, the sensory properties of food or a great thing for, Mm -hmm. for kids to explore at this age, have your kids been able to do any activities you thought were, playing a positive role in, in helping them learn about food? Um, not at school yet. So as I mentioned, some of the worksheets that I reviewed that had to do with like food and culture and food and where it's commonly grown and stuff like that, I think are fabulous. Yeah. And I'm excited for them to, um, I, and this was something else that I kind of offered to the school some feedback that I offered to the director and assistant director as well is, you know, that I would recommend teaching children about their senses, as you said, and about how they can use them to learn more about food. 
introducing children to new food, I think even if they're not actually eating it, or even if we're not actually bringing that food into the school, I think even just showing pictures of different foods or reading about foods and where they come from, I think that sort of information would be great for them to get, you know, not just at home, but in school too, if food is a topic that comes up. I also think there's something else that can happen at school as well as teaching children in very basic terms, you know, what their bodies can do and that all bodies are good bodies. That to me seems like something that my five-year-old could understand if, again, if put simply. Yeah, absolutely. I try to um, use the messaging with my kids, certainly that all bodies are good bodies. And, you know, we have a Daniel Tiger episode that we watch about that. And, you know, that plays into a much larger message. It's not just about body size. It's like all Mm -hmm. bodies are good bodies, regardless of what they look like, right? Um, Which is something that I know we're all trying to teach our kids about. But I try to teach my kids, you know, that's kind of weird that the cupcake was in the unhealthy column. I mean, we eat cupcakes and they make us feel good. And did you know what healthy means? it means you feel good. So, you know, I think that's kind of weird that the cupcake was in the unhealthy column, but yeah, I got to yeah. say it's, it's not just school, you know, especially since my kids started staying home more, they basically took like a five month gap from school because of the pandemic. And so we were watching a lot more YouTube and things that I thought would be a perfectly innocuous, you know, YouTube show. They're like building a gingerbread house or something like that. And suddenly there's a voice coming in, don't eat too much candy. You're going to have to, you know, run on the treadmill. And I'm like, how is this a show for four-year-olds? So I think that a big element of it is being proactive and talking to the schools, but Mm. I think also the messages are just going to come in from whenever we're not looking. You know, it's going to be a peer at school or it's going to be a YouTube video that you thought was totally fine. And so the flip side of it is teaching your kids to get curious when they hear that and like, well, what does that really mean? I mean, how could a cupcake Mm. not be healthy if healthy means that we feel good? That's weird, you know? And that's something that I haven't done yet, but I like that idea idea of kind of teaching them to get curious about it. So so something that has come up for our kids around like language that they use and and like words that, you know, aren't super appropriate for a 2-year-old to say. When we've had to navigate words <laughs> and words that they hear other people say and stuff like that, kind of a phrase that I've used is we don't say that in our family. Mm. And I've been kind of applying something similar to when when some food things come up is I'll say, in our family, you get to choose or we get to choose, you know, what order we eat our foods in. Or in our family, we eat until our bellies are full. And so, yeah, that's something that seems to have been pretty well received at this point, or at least with this age. But again, I also like that idea of kind of prompting that curiosity and encouraging them to use their brains in that way and do some thinking for themselves. So I'm really curious about the waffle incident with your son. Did Mm -hmm. he keep that up in other times he was eating? Did he get curious about why sugar would even be bad? Like what happened there? Yeah. So it's something that never came up again. Uh. I was so thankful (laughs) for that because, oh my gosh, I was, I was in complete disbelief when that happened. I mean, it shocked me almost to the point of like, I kind of froze and was like, 
oh my gosh, like, what do I do? And so, so it's something that never came up again. And he doesn't, I ended up asking him later where, like what he knows about sugar, something like that. Cause I hadn't heard that yet, that there were like specific conversations around sugar. So I was like, what did you learn about sugar? Is that something you learned at school, whatever. And so all he could tell me, all he could regurgitate is that you're not supposed to have too much sugar. That was his yeah. kind of translation of whatever the conversation was around that. But I can only assume because waffle was an example of one of the foods on that worksheet. Mm-hmm. I can only assume that like maybe that was just a part of the further conversation after the kids did that worksheet was maybe there was some explaining of like why these are the foods that wouldn't be going on the plate or that sort of thing. Anyway, but my point is, all he knew was like, oh, we're not supposed to have too much sugar. And I was like, okay. And so I just reminded him like, he likes things that are sweet. He also likes things that have a lot of other different flavors and different textures. And he like brought up some comment about like your teeth. Apparently he was like also applying that to like dental hygiene. It's like, yeah, but we need to brush our teeth after we have a sucker. And I was like, sure. (laughs) Anyway, I don't know. It, It it's not something that seemed to linger for too long, but it could have. So I was so thankful yeah, for that. Yeah. And it is a nuanced conversation because I think as dietitians, you and I would probably agree on like a very higher level. Like, yeah, kids aren't supposed to have too much sugar, but like, is it appropriate to educate them about it? You know what I mean? <laughs> That's right. Because remember, we're the ones who are making the decisions about what they're offered and when, right? Like if we're, again, if we're looking at division of responsibility, like we have a lot of say in that. And so when they are offered something that contains sugar, I feel Mm -hmm. very confident and trust that like it is fine. And so I want them to know as they are learning these crazy messages about food, that they can trust what it is that I'm providing them. If we're going to the donut shop on Saturday morning, it's okay. That's because mom and dad made that decision. And this is something we love to do on Saturday morning. And so we're going to go and have a great time, you know? And I want them to trust that and not um, the thought of it disrupting that trust is hard for me to Now, this brings me to another question, though. You strike me as a person who trusts your relationship with food, your own relationship with food. Yeah. What if the adult doesn't trust her or his own relationship with food? How can they communicate that trust to their kids? Man, that's a good question, Diana. I... And I wonder if this is where like kind of taking what you know, like your your head knowledge, <laughs> and even if it's something that you are still working to practice yourself or implement yourself, yeah. or even if you're kind of on the line of like, I don't know if I fully believe or can accept this right now. I wonder if this is an area where it can still be helpful to like put into practice some of the recommendations that you are reading about or learning about so that your kids are kind of set up for success while you are still doing your own work. And so I imagine there might be times where it might be really hard to, if your child had a cupcake yesterday and they go to a birthday party today and they have another cupcake, Mm -hmm. it might be that for you that brings up some concern. But I wonder if there's kind of room here to trust what, um, and maybe this is where you take professional recommendations or seek the help from a dietitian who works in family feeding. But I think this is where it can be helpful to kind of work to trust those 
professional recommendations that you're learning about while acknowledging that like there's still room to do your own work. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what comes to mind for me is just like fake it till you make it <laughs> basically. Yeah, so and true. and yeah. I honestly kind of want to um, just put it out there that like, even if your kid has a whole cupcake, like every day, mm-hmm. like they're going to be okay. Like, you know, mm-hmm. if they have that level of sugar every day, if you're putting the other good stuff on the plate, the protein and the vegetables and everything, mm-hmm. and you're, you're doing it in a way that the kids are allowed to eat as much or as little as they want. Uh, and you know, you can basically say like, here's the dessert for today. And you know, you're, you're not having a breakfast, lunch and dinner, you know, here's today's dessert. Like, even if it's more than you, like, I even like, I, I feel very confident about these things. And when my kids like, this is actually just yesterday, we had donuts at church. And then they had Oreos with lunch. And then we were out for a bike ride. And someone in our neighborhood was selling popsicles in the front yard. So they had popsicles. And then we went to a neighbor's house and they had juice boxes. <laughs> and then we came home. And we always have dessert after dinner. <laughs> I didn't want to make that conditional on all the other sugar that they had had that day. And so I'm over here like, hey, cool, juice boxes, yay. But, you know, on on the inside, I am like, whoo, this is a lot of sugar today. But I'm like, it's okay because the, the flip side of policing it is is much worse as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah. I love the way you put that. Something, and I don't know if you've kind of noticed this in your own kids, but something that has been so fascinating to see with my own eyes that like I've learned about and I know logically and that this sort of thing can happen. But then when I see it with my own eyes, it's just fascinating that there are times where because my kids are offered a variety of foods, including sweets regularly, it's fascinating to see them not finish something Mm -hmm. when for an adult, in some cases, that's like kind of a foreign concept. But it just reminds me of how I took them to get ice cream Friday night and my youngest had like two bites left. It like was Mm -hmm. not, I mean, it was not a lot. Mm -hmm. He had like two bites left in his cup and walked his cup on over to the trash can and threw it away and said he was all done. And when I see things like that happen, I, I just think like, wow, for an adult, Mm. you know, how often, um, if we just consider like our population as a whole, like what percentage of people are leaving two bites of ice cream, if that's the point at which they're just like, truly satisfied, you know, Mm -hmm. it might be more likely that they might finish that because it's, it's only two bites. Anyway, it just was interesting to see for him that like, he was like, I'm good, whatever. And just went on, went on with his business. And I wonder if I was doing more policing, I wonder if his experience or if our experience getting ice cream that night would have looked a little different. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm thinking like, at what point do adults learn? Because like, even I would, I would finish the ice cream, you know? Yeah, yeah. uh, So at what point do adults learn not to do that? Or, you know, that this Mm -hmm. is only or maybe it's a product of our childhoods. I really don't. I really don't know, but you know, it is, it is interesting. So, well, I wanted to ask going back to, you know, the school issue, like what are some, you know, exact practical steps that uh, a parent could take, especially if they're in the exact same situation that we've been in where they, a kid comes home with this worksheet that you really didn't know was going Mm -hmm. to be part of the curriculum. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think some of the things we've mentioned are, are, Good. I think having a conversation with the school is is something that, again, I hope you feel empowered to do. I think 
um, kind of revisiting the situation once the kids get home. What did you learn about that? You know, tell me more about what you learned. And I think your idea of kind of prompting that curiosity, like, huh, I wonder why the cupcake went on the unhealthy side or anyway, I think that's a great idea. And then I think something that's coming to mind, I don't even know if this directly relates to your question, but something that's coming to my mind is just like some ideas that parents might be able to give to the childcare facility if they are deciding to give the childcare facility, you know, feedback about this is why I didn't love this worksheet or didn't think it or don't think it was particularly helpful for my children, whatever. I know when I was communicating that, I also wanted to offer some like, here's what you can do. Mm -hmm. And so that's something else that's coming to mind as a way that maybe parents could navigate this situation is kind of offering up some ideas for how the school could handle this. And so I'll offer some of what I communicated to our daycare, but I think that teachers are in a really beautiful position to, and this is something that I communicated, but I think teachers, because our kids spend so much time with them every day, I think they're in a really beautiful position to really be intentional about talking about food in a neutral, non-judgmental manner and kind of refraining from putting their own thoughts, feelings, questions, concerns about food on the kids. I think just leaving it really neutral is something that they're in a good position to do. I think teachers are in a a great position to encourage children to listen to their bodies, you know, internal cues of hunger and fullness. They are the ones who are going to be with the kids during snack times. They are going to be the ones who are with the kids during lunch. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they're right there kind of in in the middle of it all. And so I think as food conversations come up or questions come up from the kids, do I need to finish this? Did I eat enough? That's something I hear. Mm, Yeah. Well, that that makes me think that that's what they hear at home is the, did I eat enough? If if they're they're asking their teachers about that, then it's probably because they've learned that at home, but I've seen that. Yeah. 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 I totally, I I, I agree. I think that's probably true, but yeah, that, so I think if, if educators get that question of like, did I eat enough? I think asking the kids how they're feeling physically Mm -hmm. could be a good response to that. And then I think something else for educators to keep in mind and parents, this is something that you might be able to kind of recommend or or offer to the school is, you know, reward children for doing something good with things other than food. Because again, we don't want to attach morality to food and give it more power than it has. And so I think that's something that can be applied at home and can be recommended to the school as well. Yeah, that's a tough one because my school started rewarding them with little toys. Like if they get, you know, 10 gold stars or whatever, they get a little toy. And I'm like, okay, not food, but I have all these little toys in my house. Yeah. (laughs) And I don't need. (laughs) But but I mean, I my, I mean, my discipline style has more to do with like the intrinsic value of what you're doing and you shared with your sister and that in and of itself is the reward. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But um, certainly, certainly a little toy is better than food in that situation because I definitely, I want my kids to know you never have to earn food, which is tough. I remember, I mean, I remember when I was in elementary school, every time we read a chapter book, we got to pick, like, I remember, I remember I always got Butterfingers. Like I got to pick uh, one of those little mini candy bars for reading a chapter book in like third grade. And I remember that really clearly, you know, and I I don't totally know what effect that that has had on me, but yeah, you know, and that, I mean, 
mean, that just gets into, you know, parents often complain that like there comes a point when the kids in elementary school where they're not fully in charge of the food anymore. There's going to be snacks at, you know, soccer practice or Girl Scouts or they're going to come home with a treat from so-and-so's birthday at school. And the parents are saying, I'm trying to, you know, allow the sugar in a constructive way, but it's everywhere. (laughs) It's coming from everywhere, you know? So, So, I mean, I think we just have to both as parents and kids, we all have to learn how to navigate that because that's just what the world is like, right? Um, yeah. But at the same time, food doesn't need to be a reward in school. Because then, I mean, then you get into a situation where one kid earned it and the other kid didn't and the kid who didn't yeah. is upset and yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's kind of like your example of the, you know, it's somebody's birthday and they bring cupcakes, but you have to eat whatever from your lunch in order to get the cupcake. It's like that kind of sets up a situation where, Inevitably, there's going to be kids from that class in that particular situation. There's either going to be some kids who don't get a cupcake Mm -hmm. or everybody's going to get a cupcake. And it's because there were some kids who force fed themselves something they did not like. And that was a horrible experience that they aren't going to want to experience again. Um, Right. That might elicit, you know, fear about trying something that looks similar or something like that in the future. Anyway, I I think that's just a good example of like, just ultimately not super helpful. Mm, Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I don't, I don't really want to blame teachers for a lot of this. I know you're saying it was part of the curriculum for your school. I know on the worksheet that my kid came home with, I could see like in, in fine print, it said teacher pay teachers on it. So I don't know if it was, you know, her pre-K teacher or just somebody at the school who went and printed it off from teachers pay teachers, which is a great resource. I'm not Mm -hmm. saying don't use resources from teachers pay teachers, but if you type in nutrition for pre-K, you know, it's going to be kind of a crapshoot what comes up. So I think it just takes a little bit more forethought and planning to get it right. And Mm -hmm. (laughs) in my case, she came home with that worksheet about a week before career week. And so I was already scheduled to come in for career week. And I went in and I, I basically duplicated that worksheet in Canva. But instead of the columns of healthy and unhealthy, I had savory and sweet. And I made sure that some of the savory ones were quote unquote healthy and quote unquote unhealthy. I didn't label them that, but like we would see that the savory category was a mix of healthy and unhealthy and the sweet category had fruit and cupcakes. It was a mix. And Mm -hmm. uh, because that is, that's a sensory property of food. That is something that is appropriate to uh, learn about at that age. So I came in for the um, career week and I held up. passive aggressive. I held up the other (laughs) worksheet and I said, this worksheet didn't make any sense to me. So I made my own worksheet that made it because it has pizza over here in the unhealthy category. And I eat pizza all the time and I'm healthy. Oh my gosh. I'm sure the teachers were like, "Mm -hmm." (laughs) thanks a lot. But I gave every kid in the class that sensory worksheet. So they were actually doing the exact same thing of cutting out the, the different available foods and placing them into the columns of savory and sweet. Uh, and then, oh, um, you know, I thought if I had all the time in the world, I would make a whole Teachers Pay Teachers store with this stuff in it. But I was literally about to say, put that on Teachers Pay yeah. Teachers now. <laughs> I will link to it in the show notes here. And I will try to link to the work of, I know a lot of other dietitians who do do this kind of thing professionally. They have those kinds of worksheets um, available. So that could be a resource to point your educators towards. That's fantastic. I also really like, there's an Usborne book called... 
my first word all about food. Mm -hmm. So it sounds kind of babyish because it's called my first word, but it's this big book that has big, like large in size and the, the pages are large and easy to see is what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. But it has just pictures of like so many different, probably a hundred, if not more different kinds of food. Mm -hmm. And it also kind of categorizes them by like what almost like what section of the grocery store or like a bakery, you know, that sort of thing, you would find the different foods. And I've really enjoyed, we have that book at home and I really enjoy my kids looking at that book also because it just exposes them to different foods. Again, even if we don't have that food in our house at that time, you know, even if I don't have some jicama that I can <laughs> whoop out. Like they, you know, we still like learn about it in that book. I really like that. Yeah, book. that's awesome. And th- I haven't seen that one, but that makes me think of Danny Lebovitz's books. She was my guest for the Daniel Tiger episode, and she uh-huh. has books called like Where Does Broccoli Come From? Where Do Bananas Come From? There's one called mm-hmm. 101 Descriptive Words About Food. And they're just like big illustrated books with like activities for kids. And it's just like probably same with the book you're talking about hits the nail on the head in terms of of what is actually appropriate for yeah. kids to, uh, and it's, it's, it's like beyond appropriate. It's like really beneficial, right? To learn about yeah, those, totally. yes. those properties yes. of food and learn how it grows and learn what's squishy and what, like, what does tangy mean? Like, is it sour? Yeah. Is it like, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. That will help them express their food preferences as they get yes. older, which I think is, is really important. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of nuance to this issue. And if anyone listening is like, I'm still not totally sure. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I would just want to leave with the message that you as the parent, you do have the right to go in to talk to your school about this, even if you don't feel totally armed with all the information. I know what the couple of times that I've tried to talk to my kids' schools about this, I'm like like you'd think I would know exactly what to say. I do not know exactly what to say. Mm-hmm. And I know the yeah. the letter that you wrote your school, you took a while to craft your thoughts and, and put it all together in that email, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yep. So, um, you know, it's a challenging issue because we don't want to tell our educators how to do their jobs. No, but I think what yeah. you said, just even, you know, one incidence of nutrition education that is not positive, you know, n- not really in the best interest of the kids' relationship with food does make an impact on the kids. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. like just one more thing that we have to be diligent about. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think there's I think there's certainly a a way that this can be communicated that's respectful mm-hmm. and uh, again acknowledging that like I'm not blaming or I'm not I'm not mad. Mm-hmm. I'm not I simply am concerned if this is the type of education that is given to all the kids that come through here for the next 50 years. Yeah. Like that is. Yeah. I also find that it's, it's almost like it's just a one-off like, Oh, I'm supposed to teach nutrition today. Okay, cool. Teach, teachers print today. We did nutrition, but then there's not like a lot of follow-up about it. So the kids mm-hmm. either just, you know, forget hopefully, or they're left like, well, that one time they said cupcakes were not healthy and I don't have any more context about this, oh, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, yeah. what am I supposed to do with this? I don't know. I just try yeah. to put myself in a little five-year-old's brain, but. Yeah, totally. Totally. And then maybe they end up having a situation like we did where we're out to breakfast and they stop eating yeah. because all yeah. of a sudden they're concerned about the sugar. Just something that like should not even. Yeah. and But I also wonder 
for other parents who, you know, do think it is beneficial for their kid not to eat a lot of sugar might think, oh, wow, yay, good for you. You decided not to eat a lot of sugar because you yeah. learned in school that sugar is not good for us. And like that's celebrated. And, you know, that's, I mean, we're raising our kids one way, somebody else can mm-hmm. raise their kids another way. But that's um, right. yeah, it, I, for me, it always goes back to like, Yes, that might be a quote unquote healthier choice, but is it coming from the motivation that is for the long run going to foster right. the kids' healthy relationship with food? So, right. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Cause in that case, just using this one example with my son, in that case, what that meant is he walked away from that meal and he wasn't full. Yeah. And so, you know, what happened is 30 minutes later, he's like wanting a snack, you know? Mm-hmm. So, So yeah, Yeah. I think that's a good example of like, yeah, ultimately at the end of the day, just not what is going to be beneficial for him is just to eat every meal, you know, not, not feeling full. Yeah. Well, I hope you've been able to have other constructive conversations with him, whether about that incident or, you know, other times that eating quote unquote unhealthy foods comes up. Um, Is there anything else you want to leave our guests with today? I don't think so. I think I think we covered a lot of really important topics and I hope that I hope that parents feel hopeful and empowered to have what might feel like and what is a really uncomfortable and potentially difficult conversation with other adults who are taking care of your children. Like I don't want to minimize the fact that like that can be really difficult and is not easy at all. But I hope that people walk away from this feeling empowered to have those conversations and hopeful that even if your children are exposed to some conflicting information at school, you still have full control and full autonomy over what happens at home. And and that does a lot of good. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, thank you, Amy, so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, thank you for having me. All right, take care. Thank you so much for listening to today's interview with Amy. I want to know how diet culture is showing up for your preschoolers or your elementary school students or maybe even your babies. One of my favorite writers is Virginia Soul Smith, and she had an excellent article in the New York Times a few months ago about how virtual learning has helped parents open their eyes a bit to the kinds of messages about diet culture that their children may be picking up at at school. So I will be linking to that this week in the Messy Intersection podcast community on Facebook. And I want to know, what kind of messages are you picking up on? Is it an assignment? Was it a comment that a teacher made? Or maybe even a fellow student? I'll also be sharing the images of the assignments that my daughter and Amy's son received in their preschool classrooms to give you a little bit more context about exactly what we're talking about here and If your child has received a similar assignment, you can share it there too, and we will talk about the dangers of these kinds of assignments and next steps of what to do in um, bringing this up with your child's school. So I hope to see you there in the group, both for the Facebook Live, as well as the resources I'm going to be sharing on combating diet culture in preschool, although the way that that just even sounds just sounds so wrong. (laughs) But um, as always, you can find the link to join that Facebook group in today's show notes. So thanks for tuning in and sticking around for the interview. And until next week, embrace the mess.